uh, I, I love this church. I love this team. I love this people. I love your heart. The authenticity of this place just lights me up. And I am so excited to be back. It's funny. It's like I've only been away for a week, but it feels like it's been forever. Um, so I'm going to preach hard this morning. We're going to have a good time. Um, Liko, your drumming always just lights me up, man. It's a good time. Love watching you get into it. Love watching you groove. And, uh, you know, makes me want to get a little bit excited. I, like, I've never wanted to be a drummer until I watched Liko play drums. You know what I mean? And then you're like, I want to do that. <laughs> so, um, come on. Good times. Right. This series has been brewing in me for a while. Um, it's had a lot of time to marinate. It's, um, it is confronting. And I mean that in the most exciting way. Because this morning and over the next couple of weeks, I don't kind of know where or how we're going to follow what, what's marinating as it, as it gets served. It's like a smorgasbord. and it's just they're going to, We're going to keep bringing out plates as, as God reveals them. But I believe that it's challenging because the, the, it's an invitation to redefine how we live our lives. It's an invitation for the church to re-examine itself and be called into the plans and the promises that God has had for His people since the beginning. But it's confronting because that means maybe acknowledging that the direction and the trajectory and the path that I have been on hasn't led me to that conclusion, right? And I don't say, I say we as in the church, right? Uh, and so there's a challenge, there's a confront, confrontation, but there's an excitement because I believe there's a vision in this kingdom dream that if we grasp it, blesses not only the people in this room, but the people not yet in this room. And in fact, it'll bless people that may never sit in this room because that's the nature of his plan and his purpose and his promises. Have you ever felt yourself looking at your Christian life or you read the stories of the Bible, you read the stories of the missionaries, you read the stories of the revivals and go, why does my life not look like that? Right? Why does I want that? You, we kind of hunger after it. We go, those, we read the stories in the book of Acts of things that were happening. We go, that sounds amazing. At least the parts that we, we take from it. And I just, I believe that that's the invitation to be the Acts church again. And so it's exciting and it's a journey and I, and I hope you will come on it with me. I hope you will be as challenged as I have been. Uh, this morning, I just want to lay a framework for kind of where we're going. Um, I really felt like God just dropped this, this word into my spirit about the kingdom dream. Uh, yeah, like I say, some time ago. And I started talking about it a little bit. You've heard me sort of already mention it in places. But it basically came around from this idea that, you know, you've probably heard of the American dream. Right? Or maybe you've heard of the Kiwi dream, which is an offshoot of the Australian dream. Uh, you know, every nation seems to have a dream. Uh, and actually, when you start to look at these things, and I mean, you can just Google them. Most of them have to do with home ownership and, and a quarter acre section and a family and a car and a picket fence and, and uh, you know, a good investment that's going to pay off with this and, you know, all these sorts of things. And, and so this... Really, this American dream, this Kiwi dream, this Australian dream, this, this worldly dream, let's call it what it is, is the pursuit of some form of comfort that comes outside of the kingdom. 
Oh, we're, we're there already. It's <laughs> right. It's the pursuit of some form of comfort that comes outside of the kingdom. And as Christians, we believe, and if I said here this morning, who believes that as Christians we're called to live differently? I think everyone would say, Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I believe that as Christians, we're supposed to be different. Something's supposed to look different. In fact, I did a series pretty much when I started here years ago called Spot the Difference. Going, actually, if I held your life up in someone else's life, or I held my life up in someone else's life, would you be able to spot the difference? And so we acknowledge in this kind of way that we want to be different. We believe we're called to be different. But if we're not careful, we very quickly begin to pursue the same things. And we might put a Jesus label on them, but if we kind of boiled it down, we're kind of in pursuit of the same kingdom dream, uh, Kiwi dream, American dream, whatever, whatever you might call it. And then we wonder why we're so unsatisfied by it. You know, a couple of stories that I can reflect on uh, just from the last couple of weeks as God's been like dropping into my spirit, preparing for this sermon. Uh, I think I told you already about sitting with um, at the Baptist Hui listening to uh, Hannah Cossey, who is Paul Cossey's daughter. Paul is the pastor at Motueka Baptist. And, and Hannah is the young adults uh, kind of working for the, for the now top of the South Canterbury Westland Association. And she really felt like God called her to stop pursuing this Kiwi dream thing, Right. And so she had a house and she felt like God was calling her to move out of it and to live in a van. And she's like, well, what am I going to do then? He's like, well, we'll see. You know, like it's amazing. When God called Abraham out of his uh, out of his home place, he goes to go where? He's like, I'll show you. Right. He didn't go. Well, here's a map. He just said to the land that I will give you. It's very vague and nonspecific. Right. Um, and so, so she'd done this, and, and then she said, and it was difficult because I knew that I could drive, you know, drive out of my house, get into my van, and immediately go down the road and find somewhere to park up and pay because I had, but God was like, don't do that. I want you to have faith in me. I want you to trust me. And so she's sort of on the early stages of this journey and being able, you know, and in one sense, she's way more mobile. Like already she's been talking, like, I could just come up and park and, and be with you guys for a while. I'm like, that is awesome. Instead of having to go, oh, I've got to find a house. Like, I'm going away again tomorrow. I know it sounds crazy. We've got a family holiday this time because I thought actually maybe I'd spend some time with my family and not just run away from them constantly. Um, but, you know, like it's like we've got a dog, we've got a bird, we've got a cat. And you, like, so you probably need a house sitter. And then if someone's going to come sit in your house, like then your house has to be clean. You know what I mean? Like it's the whole stress of <laughs> like, and so you go, I want to serve Jesus, but the dog, the cat, the kid, you know, you understand why Paul started to say things like it's better for a man not to marry, not because women, are, but just because it's like you want to go places and she's not going to be happy when you go places because you're never home. And, and again, Paul lived with a conviction that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. And so it's one thing to say, don't get married. Anyway, it's a different sermon, different day, <laughs> different day. Um, but, but she made this statement, you know, she started to, she's found this freedom and she profound. I've written it in my journal. I look at it regularly. It says this, my life is now comfortable in all of the ways that it used to be uncomfortable, right? Now, I want you to think about that because how many things do you do in your life that if you're honest, they make you uncomfortable, but you do them because you feel like you've kind of been shoehorned into them? Right? Like, you, there's all these things that you go, I, I love the way that Shane says it. it's not an original quote, but I've heard other people that go, We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> right? We live our entire life accumulating things that, that honestly, if we look, we went, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be like this. But I just know that if I, like, you know, 
the whole Sunday trading thing, right? Everyone wants to make that a religious issue. And I go, don't make it a religious issue. Nobody wants to work seven days a week. I I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be burnt out. I don't want to be exhausted. I don't want to be. And and so uh, if we're honest, it's uncomfortable. And so she went, the moment I threw that away, she goes, suddenly my life just felt peaceful in ways that it had never felt peaceful before. But then she said this, but my life is now uncomfortable in all of the ways that it used to be comfortable. (laughs) And that's the tension, isn't it? Because actually there's a whole bunch of things that we live in our life and we go, if I'm honest, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like the way it works. I don't like the system that I feel like I've been shoehorned into. I don't like the politics. I don't like the economics. I don't like whatever it may be. But I'm also scared that if I rebel against that, that this comfort that I have claimed might become uncomfortable. And I quite like this little patch of comfort that I have. So again, that statement altogether, she said, my life has become comfortable in all of the places where it used to be uncomfortable. But it is now uncomfortable in all of the places where it used to be comfortable. And I believe that's the invitation to the kingdom dream. I believe that's the invitation to the plan. Uh, You know, but it involves kind of shedding something off. It starts with a, a, an acknowledging that something's not working, something doesn't fit, something doesn't feel right. Uh, and sometimes we can be too proud to do that. You know, my, my um, uh, daughter, Taya, she came home from school a couple of weeks ago, and they'd been privileged to sit in a play, uh, you know, they put on a play, and it was The Emperor's New Clothes. Right? And if you don't know the story of the emperor's new clothes, let me summarize it really quickly for you. It's about a, a king. I'm probably going to get this wrong. But it's about a king who wants a fine garment. And so someone says he makes him a fine And he's just standing there naked. Right? But he's too proud to admit that he's naked because he's asked for this finest, lightest garment. And so he starts parading around pretending like he's got this fine garment on, knowing deep down that he's naked. But too scared to admit it and just going, I hope they can't see. And then everybody in town's too scared to confront him and go like, dude, you're naked. Because he's the kick, like, and so we just get in this weird kind of standoff where everybody knows it's not okay. Everybody knows something's wrong. Everybody knows this wasn't really the way that God created society to be, but nobody's willing to admit it. Because that might admit going, actually, I'm naked. And that's embarrassing. Or it might, might admit, it might involve admitting that actually maybe I'm not as serious about following Jesus as I say that I am. And that might be uncomfortable because I'm a pastor or because I'm a worship leader or because I'm a regular church attending tithing Christian. But I'm naked because I'm pursuing something that makes me deeply uncomfortable because it's the common goal. The other story that, that I tell, before we, I'm going to open some scripture in a second. Uh, I've recently discovered, I don't know how I missed him my whole life, because like, honestly, his, his content is just like my bread and butter. Um, Mark Sayers, he's the pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, and he was speaking in Christchurch last week. We kind of just found out accidentally while we were down there, so went along. But he, he does a podcast, if you're a podcast person, called This Cultural Moment. And he's basically talking about living in a post Christian world. And he breaks down time into this kind of thing. He talks about pre-Christian, Christian, Christian, and post-Christian society. 
And he says, what's interesting is when you look at the history of Christianity and when you look at the history of of the spreading of the gospel, a lot of these places where missionaries went that started out as pre-Christian who had their their pagan practices and their many gods and their fear-based religion and all these sorts of things, Christianity comes and introduces Jesus, this monotheistic culture, and it changes the community and it starts to build society And it starts to get into this whole kind of uh, exciting space where things change and things get different and people get better. And he said, the interesting thing is no culture that goes from pre-Christian to Christian ever goes back to pre-Christian culture, which is interesting because that means our faith actually does something that lasts. He said, but what they do, instead of going to pre-Christian culture... We go to post-Christian culture. And post-Christian culture is where we've got all the good things now, thank you very much, and now we don't need Jesus. Right? Thank you for bringing education. Thank you for bringing equality. Thank you for bringing love, respect, kindness, morals. We've got those things now. We don't need the God that they came with. Mark says, essentially says it like this. It's the kingdom without the king. And he makes this interesting observation, which I think is important as we start out on this kingdom dream together. He says, the danger of pre-Christian culture, and we know this from our history, right? He says, the danger is that often Christianity would come into a place and colonize it. And they would come in and they would change, and they would, but they would also take some of the ugly things about their own culture and superimpose them over the beautiful things about another culture. Right, So now the goal is, that, and, and global missions is reforming in this at the moment, about going, how do we go in and not take our culture, but take kingdom culture, of which your actually culture has an expression of? So he said the danger in pre-Christian uh, communities is that the church comes in and it colonizes, but the danger of post-Christian community is we get colonized. Right? Because we want to serve in our community, And we want to be relevant in our community and we want to be impacting in our community. And so we start to take on the culture and the values and the dreams and the hopes and the success measurements. And before you know it, we're going, we love Jesus. But actually, we've forgotten what that looks like. Yeah? Hello. I'm just like, if you feel convicted, you're in good company because the pastor got convicted with this as well, right? We tend to get colonized by the world around us. And so when we become colonized, that's when we start to take on all these things that make us uncomfortable, but we convince ourselves that this is what comfort looks like. And if I just live in it a little bit longer, it'll get better. Or if I just put Jesus' name on it, it'll be better. And if I just start doing, you know, and so so our entire movement in the West, the entire church in the West has begun to be colonized by post-Christian culture. And we've taken on a dream that was never ours to hold. Does that make sense? So, so this morning, it's confronting because we undo that. But the release is into what God has for us. So with that, let's open scriptures. Uh, let's go to the book of Acts. Because here's what I've noticed. As I said before, if we went around the room and, and I said, how many people love Jesus and want to serve him and, and, and want to you know, follow him? And we'd all go, yeah, amen, that's what we want. But how often do we pursue the same lives as the community around us? And one of the confronting things is when I open the book of Acts, if we're honest, these people lived in such a way that's pretty different from how we live. Right? 
And let's just start with, this is a particular favorite verse of mine, Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 42 to 47. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, I could do a sermon this morning and just break down those four things and go, what's your devotion to teaching like? What's your devotion to fellowship like? What's your devotion to the breaking of bread like? And you'll be like, well, we'd like to do communion more, but Shannon never has it at church. Working on that. Um, (laughs) But actually, that can be done in your homes. And they devoted themselves to prayer. And actually, if these are the four measurements that Acts is putting out as, as, as essential measurement of what it looks like to live in Christian community, how do we measure up? Because it's kind of confronting. You go, oh, actually, the prayer meeting's the first thing I'll miss. Uh, sermons are the second thing. You know, to church and fellowship, ah, like, I come and I sit with people, but I don't, don't make me talk to them. Like, oh, please may the pastor not do that uncomfortable thing where he says turn around and say hi to someone because, oh, people, oh. Like, and I get it. Like, you know, some people aren't super extroverted in that sense. But those are the things, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You want to be a better Christian community? Just take those four things and go, I'm going to do better at them. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Later on, the Bible says that signs and wonders follow those who believe. Maybe the signs and wonders that we're crying out for actually are preceded by this cultural change. Everyone was filled with awe, and here we go. All the believers were together and had everything in common. <laughs> uh, how, how quickly would it be for us to go around this room and find our differences? Like it wouldn't take long, right? F- football team, rugby team, taste in music, whatever. This isn't actually about your preferences. This verse, all believers were together and had everything in common. This is about what what T.U. was just talking about, about being connected. And actually, you know, Paul later wrote, when one part of the body hurts, the entire body hurts with it. And so they had everything in common. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, Here we go. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has need. We just got to the uncomfortable one, didn't we? They, they, we go, okay, like, you know, we can sell possessions, but property? You don't sell property at the moment. It's a bad idea. Terrible idea. The, like, you, if you've got a house, you keep it, right? Like, that's, like, that's the dream. Get a house. Get a mortgage. Do what you can. And, and again, I'll quantify that as we go through the series. But every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, I go, that's what church should be like. That's what I want church to be like. And, and, and it's not just because I'm employed to work here, right? Uh, I, I, go, I believe that's the kingdom dream. That's the kingdom dream. And in the things that they had, it doesn't talk about any of the things that we pursue having. And in fact, it says they kept selling the things that we tend to pursue to have what we don't have. You with me? With me? So here's, here's a couple of things. One, when I look at the book of Acts and I look at this and I go, I don't live like that. And I, I'll own that. I, go, I don't live like that. 
Not as authentically as I could. But I want that. And I start to look at it, and, and, I get, and again, I start to look at it with my logical mind, and I start to go, it's just completely economically impractical, and, and so on and so forth. And actually, God's been unpacking some of that with me, and you'll be interested to see what comes out in the coming weeks. But I, I want to just begin by looking at this statement, and I think I actually whet your appetite with it a couple of weeks ago. Paul, uh, the apostles, were not unintelligent people, Right? Or or, or should I say, they were not unspiritual people. Leonard Ravenhill says we could afford to be half as intelligent if we were twice as spiritual, right? And so these people were, they had a certain kind of smart. They had a certain kind of leading, certain kind of direction. And, And just if we just look from a purely logical point of view, when we look at our world, when we look at our economy, we tend to understand that a silly idea is if I have a lot and TU has little, and I sell what I have, everything I have, so that TU now has a lot, what am I left with? A little. That's not a solution to a problem, right? That's it's just moving a problem. And, and so I don't believe that the disciples, I don't believe that the apostles, I don't believe that these faith communities were, were living in such a way where they were just moving a problem. Go, we sell our house, we give to the poor, now they have food and we go hungry. I don't believe that's what they were called to do. I don't believe that's what they were doing practically. As you start to read what I believe they're about to do, and then I will immediately quantify this with my, with my next verse, because paradox, right? We live in this tension. I believe they sold out their individual dreams for the success of the kingdom. Now, if you're an economist in the room, you're like, that sounds a lot like socialism. No. No. And, and I'll explain to you why. See, we live in this world where basically the two choices of life right now, are you are either a capitalist or you're a socialist. And, the, and both of those people use them as insults to each other and like compliments to themselves. Right? You're a capitalist. And they go, thank you. And I'm like, you're a socialist. I know. You know, like it's this kind of, and so then we start trying to escalate and just showing that we know things like, you know, we find someone that we believe is a socialist. You go, you're a fascist. And go, that's not the same thing. Do some homework. Um, we just get all kinds of confused. But actually, again, I believe there's a kingdom way that we're not noticing. But I believe it makes us uncomfortable because when you look through the Old Testament, they did crazy things like they had Shemitah years, which were Sabbath years, where on the seventh year they didn't harvest their crops. That sounds very uneconomical. Yeah, well, it was a faith thing, right? It was a trust thing. And God blessed them abundantly because of it. And, And so living the kingdom dream often goes against the grain of everything the world says is good, smart practice. And so... We look at this, and, and, and I believe they were selling out what they had as individual success so that the community, so that the kingdom could thrive and it could grow. And I believe that is a beautiful picture. But how do we live it? Because you all know, as well as I do, that none of the systems in the world seem to be working really well at the moment, do they? It doesn't seem to matter where you are. Everybody just sort of, you look at this and go, it's not going super great, is it? And one of the things that concerns me is how often as Christians we want to fight for the economy. You know, like we tend to be a little bit more right-leaning. And so we want to fight for this thing called the economy. When actually when you read the book of Revelation, it says the economy will die with everything else. And you go, weird thing to be protecting. <laughs> like the Bible says that in order for God's kingdom to reign, that we actually have to let these things go. And we're like, no! Like, hello. I'm just here to make you uncomfortable this morning. It's... <laughs> But see, the the word that I have in my spirit, the word that I feel like God has given me is that it's time for the church to mobilize. 
It's time for us to prepare to mobilize. So we've just read about Acts chapter 2. Let's read Acts chapter 4. Let's keep going. Again, these uncomfortable verses sit on them. Uh, Verse 32 to 37, it says, All of the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. They They had everything in common. Again, we go, this sounds like, you know, like, Surprised no one's got up and up oh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> with with great power, bad timing. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Again. You take these like, statements on their own, they start to really, it gets awkward. But here's the other thing. We have to immediately balance all of this because how many of you know Matthew chapter 25? Matthew chapter 25, we did the Matthew 25 challenge with World Vision. Usually if I say to someone, what's Matthew 25? They'll go, oh, well, it's whatever you did to the least of these you did unto me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was in prison, you clothed me. And he'll line up the goats and the sheep and, the, and, and so on and so forth. But actually the beginning... Of, of Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. And so it's actually the parable of the, the, the you know, God gave 10, 5, and 1, and the one who had 1 buried it in the ground and didn't grow it, didn't multiply it. And, and so, so, you know, and because of that, like, he loses everything. And there's this verse in Matthew 25, which seems immediately contradictory, right? Let me just, we don't have to, time to go there, but you go read Matthew chapter 25 in your own time. And if you read it in its entirety, it's very confusing because it starts with the parable of the talents and it ends with the, the, the sheep and the goats. And so the, end, the summary of both of these statements, so the end is whenever you gave to the least of these, whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And we go, socialism, disperse the wealth, do the thing. Beginning in Matthew 25 with the parable of the talents finishes and says, those who have much more will be given to them and those who have little, even what they have will be taken away. You go, capitalism. It's like, it's just, it's like, by the time you've read Matthew 25 with a worldly lens, you go, I'm just confused, really. And I think the reason that they fall in the same chapter is because you can't have one without the other. And that's the difficulty of where we're living in the world. We, we, we live in extremes. But watch this. Because I want to give you some tools this morning. How do we live? How do we start to access this life, this kingdom dream? Let me give you a couple. Where am I going? Let's start with Galatians 6. Hmm, actually, before I do, let's just, let's just push pause. Let me find my gravy train for a minute. Let me give you a couple of, like if you're taking notes, here's a couple of things, just to summarize, because I waffle, right? Let me try and consolidate them. If we want to see God add to our numbers, which we read in Acts chapter 2, then the implication seems to very strongly be that we must become especially devoted to one another. And often we want that without that, which leads me to this observation. You read the book of Acts. Acts 2 is the story, the beginning of Acts 2, right? It's the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we go, that's what we want, the room filled with smoke. The, you know, and, and, and here's the observation. This is what I was challenged with as I was writing this. We want an Acts 2 outpouring 
without an X2 offering. Mm. Right? We want an X2 outpouring without an X2 offering. Let me say it this way. We want an X2 outpouring without an X2 community. Or we want an X2 outpouring without an X2 authority. Or dare I say an X5 authority. <laughs> X5, Ananias and Sapphira, right? Like we just like to skim over that bit. Sells house, donates part of it. And then God strikes him dead because he lied about it. And you go, again, what were they pursuing? Worldly stature. So we want an X2 outpouring without an X2 offering. And that's the challenge. That's the encouragement. But then let's now start to look at this because, again, I just want to make you uncomfortable with the things you already know you're uncomfortable with so that then I can make you comfortable with the things that you were created to be comfortable with. James chapter 4. Did I give you that one? No. Did I give you that one? Yeah, James chapter 4. Let's start there. Uh, verse 1 to 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? I mean, we, we could pause there and just see that, couldn't we? Right? Most of the things that cause the fights between us are our pursuit of our individual success and the pursuit of our way. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. This doesn't sound like the Western church at all, does it? Not at all. You do not have because you do not ask God. Because Jireh, you are enough. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. <laughs> that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship, who's encouraged this morning? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's not about people, that's about systems, right? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He caused to dwell in us, but He gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I'm sorry, you thought I went away for a week and I came back and I build you up. I totally will, but I just need to share. As much as anything, it's about getting it off my chest. <laughs> just sharing my conviction. Can we just go back to the first verse of that? Just uh, verse four? No, verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from, the, from your desires that battle within you? See, I believe one of the reasons that the church is so divided in modern time and post-Christian culture is because we're pursuing the wrong dream. But what is the dream? How do we find something that doesn't just reflect another world system? Right At the moment, you have the choice between a selection of world systems, and none of them work. But I believe that what they found in Acts 2, and actually expands all the way out throughout the Bible, and we see it through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, excuse me, is a way of living that is actually a kingdom system. And yes, it makes us uncomfortable in all the ways that we used to be or pursued comfort. But let's land at this verse here. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I, I love this. I love this. Because I believe this is what, as, as we go on this series over the next couple of weeks, I believe this is the foundation to the kingdom dream. See, it says this. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So let's stop there. You want to know how to fulfill the law of Christ? If you go, how do I live God's way? 
carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Then goes on because Paul loves to just like give the uppercut. And again, these are Paul's words, not mine. Hate him, not me. Um, Can we get that? Yeah, there we go. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. (laughs) Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, I want to simply highlight to you two sentences from that scripture, that passage. And you'll see it. And, and the bit we, if there's any tension in what we've talked about today, I believe the penny will drop for you and you'll go, that. So let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, Galatians verse 2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5. For each one should carry their own load. Let me summarize it to you this way. Share each other's burdens. Carry your own load. Share each other's burdens and carry your own load. This is the foundation of the kingdom dream. This is what community looks like where we share the burdens of another. We feel the things because we're connected in Christ. He said, when you hurt, I hurt. When you struggle, I don't go, well, they're struggling. I'm not struggling. We go, we are struggling. And so we start to look at this, but it also says, carry your own load. Do you know where, do you know where society, do you know where culture, do you know where church starts to fall apart? Where we start confusing our burdens and our loads. Right? How many times have you dealt with someone in your life and you're like, oh my gosh, it's just like this person wants me to carry everything, right? Just everything. They're just like all of it constantly, all the time. And you go, man, this person must be overburdened. But eventually what you actually start to recognize is, hang on, this person's not carrying their load, right? Or equally so, we get so caught up in this idea that my problems are mine alone that we start to call all of our burden our load and go, it's mine to carry, it's mine to carry. And someone's like, can I help you? No, it's mine to carry. It's mine to carry. God, give me strength. He's like, I did. In the kingdom, and the community that was around you, you go, this is getting really heavy. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because I'll put you in a body. And if you devote yourself to fellowship, something might happen. You might start to carry each other's burdens and something might start to happen. But here's the problem. <laughs> See, capitalism encourage you to, encourages you to ignore the burdens of others. It's God bringing you. Well, tell him we're busy. No, don't. No, I don't. Like, like, I'm kidding. I'm, oh, man, that just came out. Um, see, See, the, the structure that we encourages, if you want to succeed right now, what's the easiest way to overlook the burdens of others? Because they'll hold you back from your dream. They'll hold you back from opportunity. They'll hold you back from all that sort of thing. You focus on being successful. Maybe when you're successful, then you can like pay the minimum wage or whatever it might be, right? So, 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 so we have one structure that encourages and in fact empowers ignoring each other's burdens. But then we have another structure which encourages people to ignore their own loads. I don't have to carry that. 
Someone else will carry that for me. Ah, don't worry about it. I get paid better doing this anyway. Right? Hello. I'm just defending everybody this morning. Just everybody. See, see, the systems of the world either go, carry your own burdens, forget everybody else, or you can't do anything. Just let everybody else carry it for you. And both of those structures, see, Jesus said crazy things. Like, see, we, we've read the verses where Jesus says that, that, that you know, those who have much should give to those who have little so that no one goes without. Jesus also said if someone's not prepared to work, they shouldn't eat. You go, oh man, I don't like that one. But see, Jesus lives in a world where he starts to plant this church and acts and the apostles build it. And then eventually Paul defines it where he says, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God is a room full, a body of believers who share each other's burdens and carry their own loads. And so my challenge to you this morning is simply this. Are you sharing your burdens? Because if you belong to Connect, you have come to a place where God wants to give you rest, where you can share your burdens. And if you don't feel like you can share your burdens here, then I want to hear from you. Because this is a place where we should be able to share our burdens. Not just with me, right? Like that, again, that's the bad, like we share our burdens with the church staff until we realize that we are the church, right? So, so the first question is one, are you sharing your burden? The second part of that is, are you sharing the burdens of others? Because actually the call of radical discipleship is to not only share your own burdens, but to share the burdens of others. And the people that will burn you out the fastest are the people that share their burdens with you, but never take your burdens with them. Right? And often we can get into this place of, I don't want to share my burden because they're already burdened enough. But actually if we all share our burdens... So for question number one, are you sharing your burden? Question number two, are you sharing the burden of others? Question number three, are you carrying your load? And this one's uncomfortable. I mean, I like this one. Because we kind of think that Christian charity says we shouldn't talk about this. But actually a few years ago, as a, as a staff team, as, as a leadership team, we developed a self-reliance policy which was basically for like people that we were continuing to engage with repetitively in social justice and social help, going, if we're doing this, and we're, we're doing this because we're called to do this, we're here to help you with your burden. But if you don't want to carry your own load, I can't help you. Actually, Jesus said this to people. He, walked, he would say, do you want to be well? He walked, like, Jesus' entire ministry was built around this idea of, I'll take your burdens. Will you pick up your cross and follow me? Right? Will you carry your load? And, and he even said any, in that same verse, anyone who wants to save their life will lose it, but anyone who loses their life for the sake of mine will find it. In other words, anyone who wants to live in that worldly system, anybody who wants to live in, that, in the pursuit of the American dream, the Kiwi dream, the whatever dream, it doesn't end anywhere good. You get your house, you get your car, you get your whatever, you, and then go, I still feel empty, because Jaira never came to provide those things. I'm not saying those things are inherently bad. And again, we'll unpack these things later. I'm just trying to whet your appetite. But if you're prepared to say authentically and mean, I'm done with the ways of the world and I want to start exploring the ways of the kingdom, then I want to invite you on a journey over the next couple of weeks, maybe for the rest of the year, 
to go, what does the kingdom dream look like? Starting with the kingdom dream as a place where we can share each other's burdens and we all carry our own load. And so as you go from this place this morning, I just want you to have some time with Jesus today, this week, and go, Jesus, am I carrying my load? Have I picked up things that actually weren't mine to carry? And as a result, I'm not carrying the things that you called me to carry. Am I overburdening myself with worries when you've placed me in a community to share those? That'll do. Do you all feel sufficiently uppercut this morning? (laughs) See, I believe I only have the permission to say this because I quantify it with, I love this church. (laughs) Right? And this is not about me being on your case. This is about going, I believe the plans that God has for us are so much bigger than we can think, ask, or imagine. And so when we start going, God, might we live your way? Might we pursue the kingdom dream instead of the Kiwi dream? And the rest of the series devotes us to looking at what might that look like. And actually, we're going to have some discussion time around that. We're going to have nights where we might come and actually dream together because I don't know what the kingdom dream looks like. We will work out what the kingdom dream looks like. But I want to bless you to know that God is for you, not against you. And if God is for you, then nothing can be against you. That he is enough, that he is your provider, and he deserves it all. And as you live his way, your life will become comfortable in all the ways that it used to be uncomfortable. But be warned, it will become uncomfortable in all the ways that it used to be comfortable. Let's pray.